When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're talking about the Oscars. And also the return of the BBC Three comedy, This Country. We've also watched the new daytime detective show, Shakespeare and Hathaway, for the first time. So we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've got a fun Seriously event update, haven't we, Caroline? We have, yes. So we are going to be at the Women of the World Festival at the Southbank Centre this coming weekend, if you're listening to this when it comes out. So the actual date is the 11th of March. We're doing a live podcast about feminism and brands and influencers and basically can you be a feminist and also wear one of those really expensive Dior Uh, (laughs) t-shirts with a panel of really excellent guests including previous podcast appearee Simran Hans, Emma Gannon, Jasmine Kapocha from The Debrief. So yeah we are doing that on Sunday I believe the festival is already sold out slightly annoyingly and you cannot buy tickets for events individually but if you're already going to the festival, make sure you come and check us out in the Western Roof Pavilion. Wow. Don't know what that means. Fancy. At three o'clock. And if you are not already going to the festival, we will be putting it out as a live episode uh, next week. So you will get to hear it anyway. Very excited. It's one of our favourite sort of topics to think and talk about. I don't know how much we've talked about it on Seriously but we definitely talk about it a lot in life and I'm sure it kind of comes into our discussions fairly regularly. So yeah, I'm really excited for that event and that podcast. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is, no surprise really, the Oscars. We decided not to do a stay up all night and record a podcast in our hazy sleep deprived state like we did last year. But it was a lot last year. It was a lot. So much went down and it was really draining. <laughs> I felt so ill. I had to leave work early and it was just dreadful. But I believe you did actually stay up and watch it live. Yeah. I mean, what can I say? I didn't choose this life. This life chose me. Uh, <laughs> I stayed up all night to watch the Oscars, even though I didn't have to this year. But it was it's just really good fun, isn't it? I also feel like it maybe wouldn't be so fun in America where everyone's just watching it because it's on at a normal time. There's something mm. about it that's like, yeah, I'm like committed to the movies. I'm going to like stay up and watch this. And, you know, I live for awkward stage moments and so on. So 
I also just felt like I had so many films that I was rooting for this year. I think like halfway through the year, I had convinced myself that although there were a couple of standout things, it hadn't been an amazing year for film in my book. And oh, how wrong I was. There's so many films that I loved from 2017. I was rooting for Call Me By Your Name, Lady Bird, Get Out, Phantom Thread. So I wanted to see how all those movies did. So yeah, that's part of the reason why I made the insane decision to stay up. So I did not stay up, but I woke up early this morning and watched quite a lot of clips and read some takes and looked through the list of winners. And I have to say, in general, I was quite disappointed. Several of my faves did not really, I think, get the credit they were due. Like Lady Bird did not win a single Oscar, which made me very sad. Mm. Ditto, Call Me By Your Name. I mean, it won Best Adapted Screenplay. So I'm really pleased for James Ivory. I'm a longtime fan of his. Also, he was wearing the most amazing shirt. He wore this incredible shirt. I think it's so funny because anyone who's seen Call Me By Your Name will know that the final scene involves this amazing shirt that Timothy Chalamet is wearing. Mm. It's like white and covered with like faces and looks very 80s. And he's got a black turtleneck on underneath. And then lots of people, I think, have like now made versions of that shirt. I've got a version of that shirt. I put it on my Instagram and loads of people messaged me like, where did you get this shirt from? <laughs> so Call Me By Your Name is already a great shirt-related film. And then James Ivory just wore a white shirt with a you know black line drawing of Timothy Chalamet's face on it, which is just <laughs> brilliant. And it looked amazing in his tux. And he's 89 years old, oldest person to win an Oscar. It's so, so cool. Everything about that moment I loved. And I believe he's not won one before, right? Despite having written and produced some of the like last three decades most iconic films. Really? Oh, that's crazy. I didn't know that. I read Peter Bradshaw's write up at The Guardian and he was saying how pleased he was that he'd won like finally towards the end of his life actually a competitive Oscar because he said he's obviously going to be a shoe in for like a lifetime achievement or a posthumous one. Right. But it's really nice that he's actually won like a proper competitive category. Yeah, yeah because although he he's made films that have won several awards mm. in the past, I'm not sure if he as an individual has has won an, an Oscar before. So that's really really cool. Yeah, that was the best portion of the evening for me if we're going to jump straight in because the two screenplay awards were for best original yes. screenplay and best adapted screenplay. And Call Me By Your Name won Best Adapted Screenplay and Jordan Peele for Get Out won Best Original Screenplay. And that was the main award that Get Out picked up. And that was just really exciting. Jordan Peele's reaction was amazing. He was so visibly overwhelmed and happy. And it's just such a brilliant film. I put £5 on it to win Best Picture. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, I kind of wanted it to a lot. And, you know, I have there are loads of films that I really was supporting but there would have been something really I think exciting about that because Get Out is so not an Oscar picture not just because you know it's about racism and it's you know written by black people and has very prominent you know black actors in major complex roles but because there's something so like you know it's a genre film maybe it's horror Mm. it's really really complex in terms of its script and its themes and everything that's going on there but it does so in a way that's still really accessible and really fun and And I think it's also funny like how often does a funny film get even nominated for best picture I felt that about Lady Bird as well actually yeah exactly 
that it's just so rare that something light and funny is sort of coded as good in that Oscars way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, really, really pleased for Jordan Peele and really loved all of his, like his speech and all his statements afterwards where he said like, you know, I tried to write this film for so long and I nearly stopped like 20 times because I just could not understand how on earth it would get produced in today's Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm, you know, really really grateful now to be picking up an oscar for it and but, it was yeah. released in april last year i like, know that's it how like so not much ago. of an awards contender it was considered to be like mm. it was so outside of the normal oscar release date window it wasn't being pushed as that at all it was totally organic the way that it's been it's picked up like this which is amazing although not being hugely aware of how these things work i am sort of just about know about something called an oscars campaign where like distributors throw money behind the films that they think they can win Oscars Mm -hmm. for and they like host loads of receptions and parties Mm -hmm. for Academy members and stuff. And apparently Universal, I think it was, did throw quite a lot of money at Get Out towards the end. Totally. But I Um, think it's something that snowballed in a quite organic way where it was released and then it got a critical reception that people weren't expecting and then it got a commercial reception that was way outside of, I think, at least studio expectations. And it persisted in being something that people talked about. It wasn't just a film that was a flash in the pan that people were like, wow, this is a really interesting film for two weeks. Like the conversation persisted Mm -hmm. and persisted. And then, you know, people are talking about Daniel Kaluuya in like ways that, really lasted longer than I think people were expecting and you know that's when that campaign really started to grow and that's really really cool I love that so yeah I was a little bit sad that it didn't you know against the odds triumph for best picture but then maybe we were being a bit starry-eyed to think that it would I'd sort of convinced myself that oh had you yeah I really had because I was just like well the BAFTA three billboards won at the BAFTAs but Mm. the BAFTAs I feel like is an even stuffier group than the Oscars. Yes. So maybe that's why. And I just ha- I just had it in my mind that it was going to be a weird outside winner. But it was The Shape of Water that won in the end, of course. Which I have not seen and you have. Yeah, so. I really liked The Shape of Water. I just didn't like it as much as Phantom Thread, Lady Bird, Get Out, <laughs> Call Me By Your Name or The Florida Project. <laughs> <laughs> which are all absolutely incredible films. The Shape of Water is really, really clever. And, you know, I think it is empathetic and, and a nice film. I'm certainly not mad about it, but I just kind of wish that some of those other films that I really loved had maybe got the directing category, for example. I think it would have been so amazing if Greta Gerwig or Jordan Peele had won in the best directing category. And I loved Phantom Thread. And even though Paul Thomas Anderson's already got quite a lot of industry respect and it wouldn't feel quite the same, I wouldn't feel as excited about it because I feel like he's already such an enormous, critically respected name and is already so validated. But I also just loved that film. So... Any yeah. of those I would have preferred to, to have won Best Picture or Best Director. Yeah, and this kind of gets to something that I felt in general about the winners. With those two honourable exceptions that we've mentioned, the Screenplay Awards, it was all very predicted and predictable, really, wasn't it? Mm. The acting awards all went to who you know, the people in the know thought they would go to. 
best picture and best director went to Guillermo del Toro for Shape of Water. Like it all sort of mm. followed the form book. There weren't any major upsets. Award season has been so dominated by Time's Up and just general kind of change making conversations. And then whilst with the exceptions of Gary Oldman for reasons that we will get into, perhaps I didn't feel like mad about any of the awards. I also didn't feel like they really responded to the situation by going, do you know what? This is the year a woman should win for best director. Totally. And it's really difficult at these kinds of big industry institutional events where you appreciate the Oscars acknowledging racial and gender inequality that is so pervasive in Hollywood. And Mm -hmm. you appreciate people standing up and saying, like, it's time for stuff to change. At first, I really didn't like Frances McDormand's speech because I found it a little bit girl power when she was like getting so excited about all the women in the room standing up. Mm. But then she said those two words. Inclusion rider. And then in the backstage interviews, she talked a bit more about what that means as well. And actually what she's saying there is something really quite controversial and, and really cool, which is the idea that big names can include in their contracts the idea that they will not work on a film if the picture isn't reaching inclusivity targets and, you know, having a certain number of Mm. women and people of colour behind and in front of cameras and so on. A similar idea to what Jessica Chastain was very praised for for a couple of months ago where she, I I don't know what film it is, but she's co-starring in a film with Octavia Spencer and she found out that she was being paid like five times more. So she basically tied their two contracts together and was like, either we get paid the same or I don't do this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which it's amazing. A lot of people were like, yes, this is the like white feminism I want to see in the world. Right. Yeah. Here's someone actually taking action to do something about people yeah. who are, you know, facing larger structural challenges than they are. And I think those things are really cool, but there are also other points in the ceremony where it really feels like, hypocrisy is happening Mm. and presenters talking lots about how it's it's you know change is happening now and we've reached a turning point and then you could sort of play a drinking game of like spot the abuser in the ceremony as well not to name any names or anything but you know it's it's difficult when people are winning awards you know Kobe Bryant for example who's been accused of rape very publicly that's difficult to see someone winning an Oscar for mm. in, in those circumstances and of course Gary Oldman is not being questioned about allegations against him by his ex-wife and those kind of things really frustrate me where everyone's on their feet applauding and everyone in that room probably knows that there's some kind of like hypocrisy happening in that moment where it's like okay so time's up for some people and not for others. And Oscars for other people. Yeah. yeah. And it just feels a bit yeah. awkward. And also just a bit like, actually, what's the Academy ever done? Like, what's the what's the actual Academy ever done really in the Time's Up movement? Like, I'm sure there are individual members of the Academy who've mm. done lots of important stuff in the last year and before. And it's great to see individual people taking a stand. But I also can't be like, wow, the Academy's done so much. So I feel sometimes a bit queasy seeing this you know the room applauding the academy in those ways yeah Gary Oldman for me was the big one big moment of that because also you know he won for a film and a role that I just have no interest in whatsoever yeah that's the only one I haven't seen actually of the best picture nominations so maybe I'm being really harsh but well I don't know I mean I I think I almost went to see it and I sort of decided not to on the basis of some of the pieces I read where a lot of people were like you know Dunkirk is a 
Second World War film, but it's a really good Second World War film, a really interesting one with some innovative aspects about it. Darkest Hour is just exactly what you think it is. Like, close your eyes and imagine a film about Churchill. Mm, This is what you'll see, you know? So I just sort of thought, meh, can't be asked. So yeah, it annoys me that like someone who has, I think, settled multiple allegations of abuse without accepting charge or trial and has also like had to apologize for making some really really anti-semitic remarks and supporting Mel Gibson and all this kind of stuff it's like why are we giving him Oscars for playing Churchill in a boring film like yeah I don't know was there anyone uh, any kind of celebrities that you were excited to see at the Oscars even if they didn't pick up awards I spent a lot of time looking out for like Sir Ronan and Timothy Chalamet definitely them like yeah I really loved what Timothy Chalamet was wearing. He looked like a tiny angel. I know. Only he can get away with that, though, because he's so, like, kind of young and sprightly mm-hmm. and in, in this all-white suit and bow tie. He, yeah, he looked great. I also absolutely loved the um, Tiffany Haddish, Maya Rudolph oh. little skit when they were presenting... I can't remember which category they were even presenting, but um, they were absolutely hilarious and should definitely, definitely replace Jimmy Kimmel next year. It was the highlight of the whole ceremony. They were so funny. And they have such a great chemistry. Tiffany Haddish is amazing, but I love Maya Rudolph so much. Bizarrely married to Paul Thomas Anderson, which is an odd one, but I love it. I read in some interview that apparently he got the whole idea from Phantom Thread from like, a point in their relationship a few years ago when he was really ill and he really liked how much she took care of him. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I know. I, I don't want to probe too deeply yeah. into what that says about your marriage, but cool, guys, cool. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, um, yeah, Tiffany Haddish is like my absolute fave. I have watched so many YouTube videos of her appearing on talk shows just to like hear her talk because she's yeah. great. Yeah, I would love to see. Because uh, also, did you watch her announce the nominations mm-hmm. with Michael Sheen or whatever his name is? Mm. That was so, like, she really couldn't get some of the names and stuff. And so, although she was brilliant and hilarious the whole way through, I was like, oh, are they really going to give her, like, stuff to present in the actual ceremony (laughs) after all those tongue twisters? And uh, they did, and of course it paid off. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to see her host host the whole thing because she's just... You know, the Oscars, as you say, felt so predictable this year On at the level of ceremony. Uh, mm-hmm. Last year, obviously, we had a major upset with the La La Land Moonlight announcement confusion. So that was very unpredictable. But I feel like their response to that has been to like make sure that everyone knows what the, you know they're doing at every exact moment. And it does just mean that there's no spontaneity in it at all. No. But that was the one moment of like, oh, shit, what's this like skit? What are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be controversial? It's going to be really funny. You know, it just felt a bit more exciting. It was the only moment where I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying this as just an experience to watch. Like other bits where they sort of took a bunch of celebrities down to a a local theatre and did the whole like, little people love celebrities kind of And the the bit with the jet ski as well, I found that super cringe as well. It's just a bit like, look how famous everyone in this room is. And it's like, yeah, obviously that's why we're all watching, but there's a way to make that interesting that isn't just like oh Meryl Streep come to this I don't think Meryl even went but I don't think she did it Margot Robbie Gal Gadot come to this come to this theatre and people will just like weep at your Mm. godlike forms it's so it's so annoying (laughs) that actually you mentioning Margot Robbie reminds me I was really pleased for Alison Janney to Mm. um win 
for Best Supporting Actress in Itonia, partly because I thought she was really good in that film, but partly also because I feel like Alison Janney has been the best supporting actress in so many films that I love. Going right back to like Juno and, you know, she's she's played so many times like the really interesting breakout mum character. Totally. Um, and doesn't necessarily get full recognition for it because she's not like the star of the film. Yeah. And I do feel like some of these Oscars, a lot of these Oscars were lifetime achievement oscars yeah, rather than best performance career oscars. recognition i haven't actually seen i Tonya yet so i can't speak to alice and Janney's specific performance in that the same goes for i think Frances mcdormand's performance because for me she's an amazing incredible actress the script of three billboards is not good enough to make her performance outstanding she does a lot yeah. with what she's got but the clip that they showed at the oscars was that bit where she talks to the deer and you're oh, like I this know. is such such a I'll- terrible scene Interestingly, our colleague Tom Gatti did an amazing Twitter thread a few days ago of like all of the weird moments in films where people like talk to deer and it's supposed to mean something. Um, (laughs) That's great. It is such a trope. Yeah. But the Frances McDormand win, I think, really raises a point that I think last got like really properly addressed. I can't remember what year The Help was, but when Octavia Spencer won for The Help and loads of people were really excited for her to win an Oscar, like it was a really historic win, but also that film is really bad. Mm. So there was all this discussion about like, can you celebrate a win for a good performance in a bad film? Or is that kind of a bit allowing special circumstances or, you know? Yeah. So I think that comes up again with this. Like I did think that Frances McDormand was great in Three Billboards. I did not think that Three Billboards was great. You know, but even Ga- even Gary Oldman, I think you could say, well, is it the Churchill performance that he's winning for, or is it just because he's a lot of people really think that he's a good actor mm. over many years? And I never wanted to be in a position where I was sort of rooting against Francis McDormand or rooting against Alison Janney, but there were so many performances that I was just more excited by and thought were more yeah. electric and new and specific to the individual. Like I'm not worried about Saoirse Ronan, for example, not winning Best Actress because I really think you know she's already won it for a start, and I just think she's going to again in the future. I think she's she'll have a very good shot next year with this Mary Queen of Scots film that's yeah, coming out soon. Exactly. You know, she's got she's got Oscar bait stuff on the. Cover already yeah and uh, but I would have loved for example to see Laurie Metcalf Mm. win because I just I don't know I think not not that it's unlikely that she'll um get one again that she'll get another shot to get to get one but just that she's a tv actress really isn't she for and she has been for a long time and this is it's an unusual thing for her to have been nominated right now and it's an unusual performance and it's same with like Daniel Kaluuya. Like, it would be it would mean so much more for for one of those amazing performances. I think especially like breakout performances where you have to be so much better than an established actor just just you to know, get nominated. Yeah. yeah. So you know t- Daniel yeah. Kaluuya, Timothy Chalamet, like those performances for me, and Laurie Metcalf just would have meant more if they'd won and I, it's kind of sad when people play it safe but I never wanted to be in a situation where I had to had to not want Alison Janney or Frances McDormand to win I know what you mean. Amazing. but this is the thing that I do think the Oscars has this like long and from what I understand from the bit I know about Hollywood history that this has been a problem pretty much since it's existed mm. that they almost never reward the performance in the year they should reward the performance. Like people are always winning Oscars like three films later. Mm. 
so actually that means that they're now stuck in this position where they're stuck in a cycle where they're always giving people like retrospective Oscars, meaning that they're never recognizing what's like new and fresh that year. They're not really rewarding like what was good in these films. Mm. They're rewarding like what do the people whose reputations we have gradually been watching and nurturing, are they finally at the right moment we feel totally. to give them an Oscar? Um, which it's not really how an award ceremony should work. It should be like these films, yes or no. Yeah. But you can't ever judge things in isolation. And Hollywood is so much about reputation. Totally. And I've got such a low bar for the Oscars that actually I can't even say that I was disappointed because mm. films that I love won awards and the film that I hated, Three Billboards, didn't win Best Picture. So I'd say that's a pretty good, it's a pretty yeah. good run for an Oscar ceremony for me. I, j- I just feel so sad for Greta Gerwig. That's my main oh, takeaway. I think, again, though, like Saoirse Ronan, I'm not worried about her. In my mind, she's basically already won an Oscar because yeah. she's just going to make more amazing movies and she's going to win one. And I think Saoirse Ronan's going to star in more amazing mo- movies and she's going to win one. And I think Timothy Chalamet is going to win one and Daniel Kaluuya is going to win one. It just is a... It's more of a, like a matter of time. Mm. But I don't know, maybe if the Academy stays as set in its ways as it is now forever, then maybe that's not actually true but we'll see. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Well, after all that Oscars chat, we're going to go on a totally different path and we're going to talk about This Country, which is one of my favourite TV shows and it couldn't be further from the glitz and glamour of uh, (laughs) the Hollywood Oscars ceremony. It's a mockumentary style sitcom. It's written by and stars two siblings, Daisy May Cooper and Charlie Cooper. In the show, they play Kerry and Curtin Mucklow, who are cousins who live in a small village in the Cotswolds. It depicts their social struggles, their relationships with family and friends, and their participation in village life. 
The first season was broadcast in February 2017 after rave reviews. Millions watched it on iPlayer and it was recommissioned for a second series. And that second series has just started airing. The first episode went out on iPlayer on the 26th of February. So I think there are two episodes up as of this week. I've actually seen them all because I love this country and um, I got some screeners and I did an interview with Daisy and Charlie Cooper the writers and stars so i've been thinking a lot about this country lately and it's just the best i love it so much i think it's such a great show did you seen the first series before caroline yeah yeah so i watched it uh i didn't watch it exactly when it was on but i watched it a couple of months i think after and i really loved it as well like it's so funny and it's funny i find both maybe it's not quite the right term but it's funny in both like macro and micro yeah, ways totally. like i find the whole setup really funny this sort of like mockumentary style as if this sort of fictional documentary team are intrepidly going to the cotswolds to find out about like rural isolation among young mm. people i find that whole setup funny but then i also just find on a line by line basis the stuff they say cracks me totally. up so yeah it's completely glorious and such a happy thing to watch i love the characters of Kerry and Curtin but I actually my soft spot in it is is for like more of the supporting Mm -hmm. cast like I absolutely love the vicar the vicar's amazing what a a great performance (laughs) he's this very sort of mild-mannered encouraging polite I guess everything you'd expect from a, a parish you know a local countryside vicar Kerry and Curtin really sort of take him for a ride and he's always sort of talking about their problems with effing and jeffing and how they're not being as productive members of the community as they could be. But they have a very genuine close friendship as well. And I think that's kind of what makes it so funny because you also know that they're all really relying on each other in quite specific ways. Mm. One of my favourite lines i think full stop ever is i think it's at some point in the first series when the vicar's doing giving a little interview to camera about like kerry's progress Mm. or something and he's saying like you know she's really coming on really really well like we've been working on the swearing and uh, we we didn't have any effing and jeffing last week two instances of the c word but you know that's that's (laughs) proof (laughs) just yeah the fact that someone could like only be saying the c word twice and that's better that's really funny and the vicar does actually have an episode this season where you learn way more about him and his story and it's it's wait. really funny and you see um i think you see the vicar really lose his temper at points um in this series as well which is hilarious yeah i it's funny because i loved the ending of the first season so much um which was just a very short few seconds of seeing Kerry and Curtin just really enjoying where they're from and I think it takes the arc of that series for you to really understand how much they love where they're from because it's kind of introduced to you as not like a total shithole but just somewhere where they're really bored I think although it's true that they are really bored that I really love how that first season eventually shows you how much they love where they're from and I think this second series is a bit more about them figuring out how they how to live in the village the best way possible Mm. rather than thinking about whether or not they should leave the village um which i like i absolutely love the way that the village is i mean the the whole rural setting and stuff is so central to the show but like i feel it's so rare to see on tv in this country like 
a council house in a countryside village yeah it's all cobbled cottages and yeah people either live in like inner city social housing or they live in beautiful listed cottages there is no like in between yeah no pebble dashed (laughs) Um, council houses on on estates um but this is i mean north leech is is beautiful north leach is about 10 minutes away from where i'm from and it's got a very sort of you know old markety vibe and lots of the buildings are exactly that chocolate box you know what Mm. you'd think but like any place like that there's also a lot of buildings that don't look like that and there is obviously a, a very different experience of that particular rural community and i love how even the smallest things about like whether or not they can afford two pizzas or one pizza can become yeah. a whole plot line in this show and i think it's all the better for the fact that um, daisy and charlie cooper have real experience of growing up in in the cotswolds in a rural area with absolutely no money and mm-hmm. they've talked a lot about how most comedy shows that feature working class characters are written by and performed by middle class people doing really silly accents and um playing really stupid and you know really playing into stereotypes of like lazy poor people and how they always wanted to write from a place of authenticity about themselves and about people they actually knew um to avoid falling into those traps and i think that's what stops this show even though there's a lot of kind of like characters are teased and mocked in this show and there's a lot of like Mm. kind of edgy humor which i think is why it's so funny because they are like mean to each other and stuff but you never feel like you're laughing at them, even if they're laughing at each other. It's never like, oh, look at this, look at this bizarre group of like poor people. It's never, it's never that kind of voyeuristic David Attenborough patronizing sort no. of comedy. It's just like they're they're allowed to be witty with each other. And it's it's really, really funny because of that. I really loved that aspect actually in the uh, secret cinema grease night scenes (laughs) um, in this episode because I think if this had been written by as you say some like non-working class people who were trying to capture that sense they would have had an event like this in it yeah but it would have been to like make fun of how rubbish it is and they would have had the characters like stand on the edge being like oh don't you wish we could like move to London so we didn't have to go to crap like this anymore but actually like Curtin tries to be all like oh this is so lame and Carrie's just like no look everyone's having a lovely time like (laughs) it's great it's a great one for making Curtin looks really bad in it Curtin's played by Charlie Cooper he's tall he's really angular he's like looks like Gareth from the office and he's obsessed with like seeming cool but he's like the lamest person ever and he you know he wears (laughs) all these like no fear t-shirts and he's he's there's just something so funny about that kind of obsession with not coming across as lame uh, without realizing that that's exactly <laughs> what makes him lame and there's a great line in that scene that you're talking about where he sa- says to Kerry oh you look like Andy Fordham and she's like oh who's that and he's like fat fat darts player basically and she's like well I don't care because I'm enjoying myself and you're like yeah <laughs> good for you and his girlfriend is sort of saying oh look up look at your annoying friends I actually wish we were more like them because they're having fun and Curtin's mm. like, what? They're so embarrassing. What? That's so lame. And like, he can't understand that actually it's not lame that two people love each other and are having fun at a movie night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It actually reminded me of some of the bigger group scenes in Gavin and yeah. Stacey, like the bingo nights and the line dancing and stuff 
one of the things I always really loved about that show was how like gentle mm-hmm. it was about and how almost defiant it made the characters like they almost sort of looked at you from the screen like I know you think this is silly but we're saying it's not you know yeah um that actually it's fine to take pleasure in like the line dancing night at your village hall on a Saturday yeah. because that's what we're all enjoying. Um, so yeah, I absolutely love that kind of warmth about totally. it. Totally. And there are just some really funny like one-liners in it as well. There's a there's an amazing, the second episode's amazing because it sees Curtin joining Kerry's dad's building site and the physical comedy in it is absolutely like perfect. Oh, I haven't watched he's, that like, yet. He's like so gangly wait. and he's just like falling over himself with like a wheelbarrow and it's just genuinely so funny. Um, but even like tiny bits like there there's a shot of like Kerry and the vicar working on an allotment that just like made me cry with laughter for for absolutely no reason I can't really explain why it's so funny but again it comes from the way that they've put so much effort into making these characters 3D that in Mm. the same way that when you see two members of your family kind of like making a pig's ear of digging in the garden it will just like make you absolutely cry with laughter because of their specific dynamic with each other that's how I feel watching Kerry and the vicar in the allotment and there's a moment where Kerry says something like oh look at the state of them runners who's been looking after them yeah you're like this is so funny and I don't know why that made me laugh <laughs> I know exactly what you mean like that's just the way she was like, like why does she oh, care why runners. does she care about these yeah. runner beads but like it's just really really funny yeah no I absolutely love this country and so so pleased that it has happened in an age when people can like show their appreciation by watching on iPlayer. So the BBC has like concrete proof that yeah, millions of people it have done it. literally millions of views on iPlayer, which for such a low budget, out of nowhere comedy. You know, Daisy and Charlie were working on it for six years, so I'm sure it doesn't feel like it came out of nowhere to them. But I think for a lot of viewers, it's just like, what's this bizarre thing that's popped up? Mm. And yeah, it really, really worked. And I'm so glad that it's got a second season. The ending of this second season ends on a massive cliffhanger. Uh, so that's a really interesting... I hope they're making yeah, more. Yeah, it's a really interesting direction for them to have gone in, but hopefully it does mean that a season three is coming too. So now we're going to talk about something that was actually a recommend from my friend Becca to me, which I have made Anna participate in as well. (laughs) I love the guilty tones of your voice. That just absolutely sets us up for how this is going to (laughs) go. Well, I don't know. I think I'm going to surprise you. So anyway, it is Shakespeare and Hathaway, which is a new like daytime BBC detective drama set in Stratford-upon-Avon. Yes, the like Shakespeare associations are absolutely deliberate. (laughs) And yeah, it is ridiculous. Yes, I think it's ridiculous. It's I was like, I, I was all ready to be for you. I don't know. Did you like it, Caroline? Yes, Damn I, really it, liked I knew it. it. I thought it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it this is, is so, so bad. The no, I totally agree. Of your, it um, is really your bad. Kind of like guilty enjoyment of all things like twee murder mystery esque. But then I also share that love. But for some reason, I think the all out comediness of this kind of mm. ruined it for me because I love watching murder mysteries that take themselves quite seriously and then have like a little raised eyebrow about the characters at the end each time. Yeah. I love the melodrama of a murder mystery. Um, this does not it, have that. It no. kind of is too, too much taking the piss out of its own melodrama for it to, you know, it's not a Midsummer Murders, is it? It's much, it's much sillier than that. I'm trying no, to think of what, it, I, what you could compare it to. 
I actually, okay, so the only thing I can think of to compare it to is a sadly quite short-lived ITV uh, detective thing called Rosemary and Time that starred Felicity Kendall and Pam Oh my Harris god, this, yeah, it sounds exactly like that. Two gardeners who, I can't remember, they were called like Rosemary something and somebody time, I can't remember their names. And they were like gardeners and they would be gardening in someone's garden and then like a murder would happen and then they would solve yeah. the murder. And the murders were often like botanically related. Um, yeah. <laughs> in a way that was very improbable. And I really liked that as well. I watched all of it when it was repeated on ITV3 <laughs> so when I was like in sick form. Again, that's got a level of OTT-ness that I think I would enjoy that maybe... I can't quite put my finger on why this didn't just it had all the all the right ingredients to be like so bad it's good and yet for me just didn't didn't get there. Um, if, so the premise is we've got this investigator called Hathaway who's a he's a PI retired police you know very classic trope of the PI. I don't think he had any relation to the Hathaway that I know and love from the Inspector Lewis series played by. Lawrence Fox. If so, not mentioned. Uh, um, I mean, he looks a lot worse than Hathaway from from that. <laughs> so let's hope not. He's actually looking into um, the murder case uh, of Shakespeare's immediately murdered husband. He's murdered as soon as she marries him. So it's it's the it's the origin story of Shakespeare yeah. and Hathaway. The episode that we watched. Uh, I actually watched another. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> um yeah i did not i i got to the end of it and i was like okay this felt like almost hollyoaksy in tone to me yeah it really does and i used to really like watching soaps and i sort of wish that i still did yeah do you think you'll carry on with with shakespeare and hathaway i don't know i mean trouble is the episodes are like 45 they're too long i think for what it is if they were 20 minutes or you know if they broke it up into like 20 minutes slots then i would absolutely with your lunch. watch one every single day when yeah. i ate my lunch but it would be good lunch for like, her, actually they're just too long i think i'm gonna have to start like breaking them over multiple lunches Whoa. that's the only way but i did really enjoy it um i watched the second one last night and this as you, you're quite right the the first one is very much the like setup at the end of the first one spoiler alert she gets cleared of the murder of her husband and uh, like buys into his in PI business the and closing shot is her the, painting her name over his yeah. on top of his on the on the glass door kind of thing and so the second episode they investigate a uh, is it a yeah it is a murder in a care like a nearby care home like as partners there is one line in the second episode that I thought you would absolutely oh no. love um, <laughs> where so the owner of the care home like comes into the sitting room where some of the residents are and she's like I've got good news everybody we've got a surprise visitor for you today and one of the really old men goes is it Kim Kardashian <laughs> um, and she's like no it's this new care assistant called Ronnie and he's like oh I'm not interested then. <laughs> that's so funny I was really expecting you to say Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen and I don't know why but that would have been funnier to me but yeah um no yeah. that's that's good one thing, I don't know if it's just because they're on at the same time at the moment, but it reminded me a lot of the dynamic between um, Cormoran Strike and Robin. The Cuckoo's yeah. Calling. Is that what you were yes. going to say? Too? Me too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, because it's the same thing where it's like retired, um, you know, police person, you know, Cormoran Strike's the military police, I think, isn't he? And this guy's yeah. just the, 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 not the Met, but the, the whatever, the, the local the force like, is in Warwickshire police county, or something, yeah. yeah. Then you know that it's this slightly younger, um, but like weirdly astute 
woman who uses her knowledge of things like hair dye to um, really make a difference in the case. And I think that in the very, in the first instances of, of Robin and Cormoran Strike kind of getting together as a, as a business partnership, she's meant to just be like secretarial and surprises him with the amount of information that she's able to retain. And that's exactly what was is happening with Shakespeare in this, where she like can just recall a license plate without really expecting mm. to, um, and is able to kind of piece things together in a way that it surprises both of them. So yeah, it really reminded me of that dynamic, but I prefer the Cormoran Strike series. I really, I think I prefer this one because I found the Cuckoo's Calling Cormoran Strike stuff like like overly moody and totally. dramatic in a way that was not really justified by its plot or writing. Whereas I do feel like this does kind of own how bad it is in a sense it knows exactly what it is and what its audience is and that it, and it's trying to have yes. fun with it and i can respect that even if i didn't enjoy it yeah i mean there are some like hilariously improbable things about it that i think must have been set up by the like tourist board in stratford upon avon like frank hathaway pi com- nearly bankrupt completely in debt investigator yet seems to still have an office that's in like a listed tudor building <laughs> yeah true um <laughs> also, there are some bits like that are just classic of like low budget daytime tv like there's a bit like where she's like do you want a lift and he's like no i'll walk home and you're like you're in a country house in the middle of nowhere where the, f- where nowhere. Are, the f- yeah. are you walking to you're just walking across like fields for three days if you walk home <laughs> what is this <laughs> and like the editing is really blunt like sometimes they'll just like yep. cut to you know someone's expression and you can just tell that like They've lost a minute of footage in between the two things, but they've just like not got the time or the budget to reshoot it. So they've just had to like stick (laughs) with it. So you get these quite weird. And you also get these almost like PowerPoint-esque, like sliding (laughs) transitional shots. Um, So it's very, you know, it's very clearly quite low budget. And, you know, it's, it's doing its best with what it's got, with the resources it's got. Yeah, I saw a tweet the other day from someone else who really likes it, saying like, I just don't understand why the BBC have scheduled this for like, 245 on weekday <laughs> afternoons like surely it's, it's obvious people. like sunday off sunday night like cozy drama slots <laughs> and i was like oh i appreciate like your love for this thing <laughs> but no that is very like sweet but there is no way the bbc would schedule something that they've spent like 10p yeah. on in their like prestige no, drama no. slot although if it was a choice between having to watch tom hardy's taboo and watching this I would definitely watch this. I actually 100% agree with you. Totally. If like, that's what the BBC think prestige drama is and like so much money got spent on that, I would rather watch like Shakespeare and Hathaway. For sure. (laughs) Okay, so uh, there will not be a recommend next week because we will, fingers crossed, have our live episode from the South Bank Centre for you. But we are going to work on something that we have been recommended so many times and yet still Literally have not... a bazillion times. Yeah. Bajillion. So if you are one of the many people who has ever tweeted or emailed us to say, please, will you watch the Australian comedy Please Like Me? This is your wow. moment. We are going Two to watch it. years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're so on the zeitgeist yeah. here. Um, but let's give it a go. Why not? Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? 
We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 